0: Welcome to Mornings with Mike. Public safety today. Grab a coffee and sign up to receive your call-in information. Be a part of the show. For more information at any time, please visit www.tapsty.org. Now, let's get started with your host, Mike Posezny. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is Mike with Public Safety Today. We're talking about alcoholism, and we've, we've spoken about the duration, the legality, and the widespread use of alcohol. But if we take a look at the, the indirect costs, we talked about family violence, divorce, hospital care, law enforcement, uh, judicial, the correctional activities related to alcoholism, the diversion centers and the transition centers and the boot camps and all the rest of these other things that are part uh, and parcel of the alcoholism problem in this country, we add all of that together and it comes out to somewhere roughly 185 billion dollars. So what are the what are the psychological costs? Then, If we take a look at codependency and enabling the bankruptcy bankruptcy of family systems, uh, think about the physical and the sexual assaults on other individuals. Think about the legacy that alcoholics leave to their children and as those children grow up to be adults and what it is that they have to live with, what their memories are, and what the mental health costs of all of these things are on people across the country. The physical costs. Uh, not not as shocking. Alcohol is not as shocking an immediate behavior cost as it is if people are using crack or meth. It, it's a it's a creeping kind of thing, you know, that slowly makes its itself known. Roughly 25 to 40 percent of the hospitalization in the United States, however, is directly or indirectly related to alcohol, and that doesn't include a lot of those geriatric homes, a lot of those nursing home beds. That are estimated to hold about thirty percent of alcohol related illnesses, if we take a look at what alcohol does within the system, you know everybody knows about meth mites and uh crocodile now and what it does and 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 everybody has a pretty good idea about the rewiring of the human brain with a lot of these illegal drugs that people are currently involved in, but then they turn around and while they're talking about it they you know they they're drinking their alcohol which is which is creating you know liver and pancreatic cancers Korsakoff syndrome uh, reproductive dysfunctions cancers heart diseases bone loss brain damage you know chronic disease states that are a part of alcohol abuse In the cycle of abuse that some people get involved with some of these things, almost 20% of all emergency room admissions have something to do with alcohol overdose, alcohol consumption and overdose, roughly 20% across this entire country. What about links to crime? You know, we talk about crackheads and speed freaks and meth heads and all all the terrible things that are all over there. But if you take a look at the majority of the assaults and the murders across this country, the majority of those murders are related in some way to drug use and alcohol abuse contributes to a majority of those things. You know, one of the favorite things that marijuana lovers, you know, just love to say is, oh, well, you know, uh, when my dad used to drink Jack, uh, he'd he'd always get angry and ticked off and he'd he'd smack us. But you know marijuana people they they always they're in a good mood all the time when they toke on them joints. Well, the thing is is think about this as does it make any quite a quid pro pro, pro quo here? Does it make any sense to argue? Yeah, either of those two points. Uh, no, it doesn't. So when we talk about heroin addicts that need to. You know, who need to get their fix and who are stealing things or are prostituting themselves in order to be able to get drugs. Look at the alcoholics and what it is that alcoholics go through to be able to to uh, continue to consume. Think about the, the implication of alcohol in automobile accidents, for example, across the country. Um, mothers Against Drunk Driving. Created and existing for the purpose of trying to increase public awareness as concerns alcohol consumption. Roughly 50% of all highway deaths being alcohol-related. What about drunk boating? You know, drunk walking into the middle of traffic, uh, drunk falling downstairs and breaking legs, uh, drunk hunting and shooting each other, you know, drunk smoking in bed, passing out, Cigarette lighting a fire, body burning up while the person's been passed out. Uh, What about the people who have drowned because they've had uh, alcohol in their systems and then decided that they were going to go out and swim when they couldn't swim to begin with? How many people have succeeded in killing themselves and killing other individuals as a result of ingesting alcohol? But alcohol is legal. And your marijuana user is going to say, yep, it's it's legal because it can be taxed. As long as the state can make money on it, it's going to be legal. And sure enough, we have states across this country who are proving these consumers to be right in their philosophical argument about the decriminalization of drugs, because as soon as they're legalizing that drug, they're slapping a tax on it. Even before they legalize the drug, their arguments are pro-taxation arguments. The The... The responsibility of the state, whether it be the a state-level government or a federal government, is not to develop ways to be able to tax the citizens to take more wealth and transfer it to government to build government. That was never the intent of government. The intent of government is to keep the citizens safe and to instrument uh, public policy and procedure in a way that facilitates the growth of this great democracy of ours. The the function of government is not to take as much as it can from citizens without demoralizing them to the point where they don't want to work anymore. But we have forgotten that somewhere along the line. We have justified, I don't know through fear tactics or what the deal is, we have justified the tremendous growth of government. To a point where the government has figured out that it can't even take any more away from the citizens because so many citizens have become demoralized now for what's being taken from them that they have left the workforce rather than continue to work their lives away so that they can pay the taxes for the government. But yet our federal leaders, unlike the state governments who are forced to get their act together, our federal leaders continue to write checks that they can't cash unless they create more money, which then puts more pressure on Joe's citizen because his dollar's not worth as much as it used to be. So the price of eggs and milk and bread goes up, and now Joe can't support his family as well, but Joe can't go out and find an additional job. And it's a vicious, vicious cycle that we're into now. So, again, Joe's going to self-medicate based on what Joe has to do to be able to keep Joe's sanity. And alcohol, being legal and being taxed, and being seen as a revenue source is what Joe's going to use because Joe is trying to remain a legal individual uh, so that he does not become incarcerated. The problem is, is the more Joe consumes of the alcohol, the more of a criminal he becomes. And as he becomes a criminal, he then loses the same rights that he was trying to protect himself from losing to begin with. So we are in a society which is engineered to put people into disadvantaged situations. And the, The disease is not the alcohol, even though there is a disease theory that we're going to be covering in a minute. The disease is not alcohol. The disease is our social engineering. The disease is the way we're organized right now as a society. The symptom is alcohol. Symptoms is marijuana decriminalization. The symptoms are people continuing to hurt themselves and others, self-medicating because they can't find enough about life to be happy naturally, but they have to rewire their brains chemically in order to be able to get through the day. Uh, Suicides. We talked about suicides for a little bit. We're looking at lifetime risk of suicide among alcoholics being roughly 15%. About 200,000 emergency room admissions for suicide attempts in the United States every year are somehow drug related. People need to understand that alcohol is a drug. People forget that it's a drug. There is no uh, biochemical aspect of alcohol use that's different from any other drug use. Uh, The important thing that people just don't seem to understand is that a person who is drinking a beer is a drug user whereas as a person who smokes a marijuana cigarette is a drug user, they're just different drugs of choice um so if we if we look at models of addiction because we understand that that the the entire alcohol consumption uh climate in this country is is mired in controversy, if we take a look at some models of addiction, well then maybe that can help us. Okay? It sounds good, right? We can slap a label on it. That's what we do as a society. We slap labels on everything. Because if it doesn't have a label, then obviously, A, it hasn't been researched enough, or B, we just can't understand it. The problem is is we can label things as much as we want to. We can have as many models of addiction as we want to. But if we don't do anything about what the addiction is being caused by, then we're just spinning our wheels, wasting our time. So we have a behavioral learning model that argues that drinking is caused and maintained by the association of alcohol intake with some kind of positive, rewarding experience. You know, the rat in the cage presses a button, and he gets to drink some more, Jack, and so he's happy. All right, this combats the little rat's anxiety. It, it alleviates stress, and it does it in John too. Biopsychosocial model. Addiction has multiple determinants. Uh, this kind, of, This model kind of assumes that there is a biological, a social, and psychological aspects of addiction in some way. And it's kind of a neat wraparound model that says, okay, well, maybe Johnny's biologically predisposed or maybe Johnny is suffering from low serotonin levels or maybe Johnny was uh, abused as a child or maybe Johnny hangs around with a bunch of friends, but we'll wrap it all together into something called biopsychosocial, and that's pretty cool because it just about hits everything. So that's the biopsychosocial model cognitive model. Cognitive model operates on the assumption that thoughts or beliefs that that addict has are the primary factors in substance abuse. There's a negative event uh, in itself that is reinforced within that person, some kind of serious medical problem or something, I don't know, but there's a core attribution in there. You know, I can't stand the nightmares of that automobile wreck is an example, which is mentioned, I think, in the text. And that leads to an emotional response of you know I just feel I feel pretty crummy i'm I'm pretty depressed most of the time, and then that leads a person into thinking, "Okay, well, you know if I have a couple of drinks, I feel better, so I think that's what I'll do because I need to be able to cope, and uh this is what helps me to cope and then that leads them to an addictive behavior where they're having to cope all the time, which means they have to get more alcohol to be able to cope and so that that's the cognitive model then there's the disease model. And you're you're hearing more and more and more about the disease model where there's some kind of um, physiological addiction uh, to alcohol and alcohol is needed to meet physiological needs. When we stop using alcohol or when we reduce the alcohol, the alcohol then reaches too low a level, For the tolerance that's that's been created in that person, the person goes into withdrawal, and then there's a physiological craving that leads to additional use. Uh, So the disease model is the foundation upon which Alcoholics Anonymous rests, and that is still probably the most common model to describe alcoholism. And if you go to the AA website, which is just, I think it's just aa.org, and you take a look at their resources there they have some tremendous resources and the really cool thing about that AA website is you can download what what's called the big book you know and most people they've never heard of the big book unless they're an alcoholic and they've gone to an AA meeting Uh, they don't know about the big book but what they know about are the steps Step number one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. I know that everybody listening to this who's ever gone to one AA meeting has heard of these steps before. Because when I when I worked within a counseling agency and when I owned my own little counseling business for a while, uh, this was something that was very commonly t- talked about. Number two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Number three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Now, see, there's some patriarchal overtones in here. Uh, Number four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Number five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Number six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. The inferences here are very strongly religious in nature. Number seven, humbly asked Him to remove our shortcomings. Number eight made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. There's a Seinfeld episode that uh, is all about that one. Number nine made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten continued to take personal inventory, when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. And it goes on from there. But those are the those are the, the first ten of the 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 big book. So if you if you take a look at uh, the AA website, and you can just type in Al- Alcoholics Anonymous if that's what you need to do, um, you can then see the big book, and it downloads as an Adobe file. So we talked about the disease model, and that's what Alcohol Anonymous uses uh, to describe alcoholism, and it's worked for them for a very long time. But there are also things like the gateway model. The gateway model produces a, a, uh, proposes an orderly progression from one drug to another. And maybe uh, maybe they start out with alcohol and cigarettes, and then that leads to marijuana. And then marijuana leads them on to inhalants or something, or cocaine. And so alcohol is seen as, as a gateway drug itself. There's a genetic predisposition model, and sometimes the genetic predisposition model is confused with the disease model because disease and genetic to a lot of people kind of tend to sound like they're the same thing. The genetic model proposes that there is an inherited predisposition to become a substance abuser. There are research studies who have found that uh, monozygotic twins of an alcoholic parent and children from multi-problem families with an alcoholic parent were four to five times as likely to become alcoholics, as were children from comparable groups who didn't have any alcoholic parents. So when they started taking a look at the neurotransmitters, and what were what was going on within the brains of these kids, they found that there were, in fact, distinct biological differences in how alcoholics and non-alcoholics actually process alcohol. And so there is some credence to the genetic predisposition model. Right? The lifestyle model. In the view of the lifestyle model, the rewards of living in an altered state of consciousness outweigh all the other costs of all the destructive things that you might want to do. So a drug pre existence is no existence at all, and this is my lifestyle, drinking is my thing, and, uh, you know, it's your problem. You don't, you don't like it, lump it, go somewhere else. The moral model. Addiction in the moral model is seen as a consequence of personal choice uh, you 're preached that you have made inappropriate decisions regarding alcohol use, and that you can make other choices if you want to there's a lot of religious groups who have chosen the moral model for obvious reasons. The judicial system has most of the judicial system has chosen the moral model um, the problem with the moral model as I see it is that the moral model tends to say look it's all about you and it's all about your choice to heck with everything else when in fact we know that there are other precipitating factors that are a part of why a person would have made that choice so it's not necessarily all about choice it is about a person's understanding of their world and understanding of themselves and understanding of their histories and why they made the choices to begin with and what a choice is there are many people out there who are alcohol abusers who feel they have no choice at all, and that is a choice in and of itself, but they need somebody to help them to understand that. So yeah, moral model, kind of, kind of, uh, kind of old school. Uh, we're going to take a break right now, and when we come back, we're going to take a look at some more of these models before we start getting into the different treatment regimens. Don't go away. You are listening to the American Public Safety Training Institute. You may have a degree, but do you have what it takes? Get your foot in the door by earning your certificate now. Online and field training available now from TAPSTEE. Get the skills from the best trainers in America. Find out how at www.tapstee.org.